Welcome to Modern Family Matters, a podcast devoted to exploring family law topics that matter most to you, covering a wide range of legal, personal, and family law matters with expert analysis from skilled attorneys and professional guests. We hope that our podcast provides answers, clarity, and guidance towards a better tomorrow for you and your family. Here's your host, Steve Altitian. Hi, everyone. I'm Steve Altitian, Director of Client Partnerships here at Pacific Cascade Legal. And today we have life coach Nancy Picard with us to talk about women and divorce and understanding the correlationship of self-worth and net worth. Nancy, how are you doing this morning? I'm great, Steve. How are you? I'm well, you know, it's not raining. And that is always good in Oregon. Uh, Nancy, can you tell us a little bit about yourself before we start in? Sure. So I am a international best-selling author of the book, Bigger, Better, Braver, Conquer Your Fears, Embrace Your Courage, and Transform Your Life. And I am a master integrative life coach. So I work with healing your heart. I work with shadow beliefs. I work with relationships, marriage. I work... um, you name it. I work with it. I like um, it. I like it. And so that fits right into what we're going to talk about today. Great. And um, so I guess my first question is going to be, because this is the topic we're talking about, is, you know, how does self-worth relate to net worth? So it, it relates in a lot of ways, but I want to go back first so that I give a little bit more credence to why I'm here and why I'm talking about this. I was married for 26 years. And when I got divorced, my whole life fell apart. I was unprepared. I didn't have the tools. I had never like paid my own bills or taken care of any of that kind of stuff. And I was truly unprepared. And I thought that my life should still continue exactly the way it is. I was watching my ex-husband get remarried to somebody that was just two years older than my oldest son and, you know, living a big, huge life. And I believed that I too should be living a big, huge life. And I'm here to tell women that that will just get you in trouble. And so what happens is that most women are very other referenced, which means that we see ourselves the way other people see us. So as long as my husband loved me and thought I was worthy and thought I was sexy and bright and all of those things, that's how I saw myself. But as soon as he no longer wanted me, then I no longer wanted me. And my self-esteem and my self-worth was basically in the toilet. And I didn't have the tools I have now. Most women don't. So when we get divorced, we really not only lose you know, whatever financial security we thought we had, we also lose our self-worth because we were other referenced. So it all plays in that until you learn to hold yourself in warm regard and realize that you are worthy just because you're here on this earth, you're not worthy because your husband thought you were, you're not worthy because you drive a Mercedes, you're not worthy because you still have the big house or the diamond ring. I got to tell you, losing my ring was like losing my identity. 
And that's true for a lot of people and a lot of women. So there is a revamping that has to happen. Now I can get to your question, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) I needed that set up so that people would know I've been there. Trust me, I've been there. My money manager tells me all the time that I am like the poster child for how a divorced woman should be. But what really happens is you feel entitled to still have the life you led. So women are very hard to sell their big homes. They think that, you know, it's already disruptive for their children. So they want their children to stay in the house. And they're really not aware of their money issues or the long-term plan. They're just stuck in, I deserve, I deserve, this is what I had. I don't want my life to change. And also they're watching the life of their husbands. So their, you know, my ex-husband was often buying yachts and living big and going on to do huge things. And I couldn't keep myself on my own side of the street. Like, how can I be happy when he's doing all those things and I'm not doing those things? And that happens to women. And so I'm really here to tell women that the quicker they can learn their own self-worth and the quicker they can learn that their life has changed, regardless of what the man's life looks like, their life has changed. Even if they, I mean, two people can't live the same way together as they're living apart. So your finances are going to change. It's just part of the reality. Uh, for man or woman, that's part of it. And yeah. if you don't get on top of it, did you want to say something? No, no, I'm just, I, I, um, I, I agree with what you're saying. Yeah, it's a, it's a hard fact, but the longer it takes you to recognize that every choice you make matters and you're in, cho- you're in charge of every choice you make until you grab hold of that and really hire someone to talk to you about your finances take the blinders off and really see where is your money going? How fast is your money going? What budget should you be on? Forget about the life you lived. How do you take yourself today and guarantee you're going to have money till the day you die? And until you get to this place of your self-worth is so tied into your net worth, Because if you don't think you're worthy, you're actually not looking to see how are you going to make more money? How are you going to hold on to your money? How are you going to protect yourself in the future? You're so busy thinking you deserve or somebody else should be paying for this. Or, you know, you've got to fix your picture and find a new partner that's going to support you. It's really, it takes time for the women to like look at themselves and say, whoa, okay, I'm a, I'm a grown ass woman here. How do I take care of my own finances? Maybe I have to go back and get a new job. I mean, I recently had a client who said to me, I'm not the kind of woman that can work nine to five. In the meantime, she was getting alimony. She was living with a man and upset that the man wasn't taking care of her and she was going to lose her alimony because she was living with the man. And she was taking money from her father and her son. And I basically said, so wait a minute. You're not the kind of woman that can work nine to five, but you are the kind of woman that can take money from your ex-husband, your boyfriend, your father, and your son. 
Like, there's something wrong with that picture. That kind of took my brain back to what you you talked about, this whole idea of other-referenced and self-referenced. And can you expand a little bit on that and maybe how that, how to break that, that yes, change. I can. I'll be happy to. I can speak about my own my own life. I didn't know it, but I had the shadow belief that I wasn't safe alone. And I also believed that I was this powerful, energetic, fun woman because I was half of a whole. I could be everything I was because I had a man at my side. And when that man was no longer at my side, then I lost my sense of self. And I didn't feel I needed to fix that picture. I needed to be half of a whole again. And once I really learned how worthy I was by myself, I recognized that I am whole all by myself. So I don't need anybody else. And so I am now self-referenced. I'm self-referred. I, I know how worthy I am. I don't need to look outside myself to find that worth. And that's a big problem for divorced women because we are people pleasers, conflict avoiders. We twist ourselves up in a pretzel to be, to be digestible to other people. And we don't set healthy boundaries and start, we need, like divorced women need to start asking themselves, what do I need? What do I want? How am I going to support myself in the future? What smart moves do I need to make? And who do I need to ask for help? Instead of how am I going to do all these things? Because it's so overwhelming. And you're but, so used yeah. to. That, I mean, the, the overwhelming part also, it, it seems to me, it can be, where do I start? I mean, do you start working on your self-worth? you start working on your net worth or is there is there something other kind of mechanism that you kick in to start both of them well yeah so the the way to love yourself more is to learn to be accountable to yourself so everything you say you're going to do you follow through with how many people say i'm going to meditate every day i'm going to lose 10 pounds i'm going to stop drinking i'm not going to call my ex or send me emails or do any of those things we tell ourselves these things all the time half the time we don't even remember that we made those promises to ourselves so the first thing to learn to love yourself and trust yourself is to have a vision and a goal for where you want to go and what you want your life to look like and then every choice you make needs to be in alignment. So you need to stay in integrity with the things you say. That's how you love yourself. And then what? No, I was just going to say, if, 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 then if I come to you and, I, or, and say, you know, you know what, what sort of skills do I need to do this? I mean, what can I practice? To learn to stay in integrity. Well, yeah. I mean, honestly, that's why people hire life coaches because life coaches, number one, help you uncover the very beliefs that are in your subconscious that you're not aware of, the disempowering beliefs that keep you from loving yourself, trusting yourself. Like we grow up with beliefs such as 
I'm broken. I'm unworthy. I'm not enough. My needs don't matter. My voice doesn't matter. I can't do it alone. I'm not smart enough. I need a man. All of these things are so buried in our subconscious from our childhood that we're not aware of them. And they keep us playing small. So you can't actually, you're handicapped from moving forward. So I think if you're in overwhelm and you're just getting a divorce, actually hiring a healing your heart coach or a shadow coach on both of those helps you, number one, get back on your side of the street, recognize where you need the work on your own self-esteem and your own self-worth, and then help you take the bound, the the blinders off of you so that you can see what you're not looking at. You know, do you know how much money you have? Do you know how much money you spend? Do you know what a budget looks like? Do you have anybody helping you? Because when you feel unworthy, then you feel like there's not enough time. There's not enough money. There's not enough freedom. There's not enough love. Like, It's a sub-zero game. You know, if she has this, then I'm not going to get that. It's not like that. And sometimes you just need the support of somebody else who can help you see what you're not seeing. And that's where you fit in. And that's where I fit in. Or or any coach, you know. Or or any coach. Right. You you talked at the beginning also, you used the term shadow beliefs. Mm -hmm. Um, What is that? So shadow beliefs are the beliefs that are formed in the first 10 years of your life. Something happens and you're not emotionally mature enough to understand it. And so you give it a a meaning. So remember before when I said that I had the belief I wasn't safe alone? Yeah. Well, when I was five years old, I was playing with a lighter that was sitting on the coffee table and I put myself on fire. And so the belief that I didn't know I had, by the way, that I wasn't safe alone makes perfect sense for a five-year-old who just put herself on fire, right? I was in the hospital for a week. I was home for a month. And the reality is I didn't know I had that belief, but it became part of my operating system. So it made me the best girlfriend and the best partner and the best everything because I would twist myself up to be digestible to everybody else so they would want me and need me. That was my shadow belief. And it kept me safe as a child. I mean, it kept me safe most of my life. I always had friends. I always had a man in my life. Until it doesn't. These beliefs keep us safe until they start to keep us small. So I got divorced. And instead of feeling like, all right, I am financially secure. my, My kids are grown. I can go anywhere. I can do anything. I should be happy, but I couldn't be happy because the little girl deep inside of me didn't feel safe. Once I uncovered it, I could give myself a new empowering belief. Like, yeah, girl, you're safe. You can do hard things. You can do big things. You can reinvent your life. So you can you can get past these shadow beliefs. But first you got to... You got to realize you're there because it sounds like you're saying they're sort of almost subconsciously there and you don't kind of realize the connection. And, and that yeah, they're not sort of, they're not sort of, they're 100% in the shadow, in your yeah. subconscious. And then you make, you not only have these beliefs, but you make these underlying commitments. So you have a belief 
And then you, you build in a strategy to keep the belief alive. So if I don't feel like I'm safe alone, I make a promise or a commitment that's also in my subconscious. I will never be alone. I will do everything possible to not be alone. So I help people uncover these beliefs because these beliefs are keeping them playing small. They're living in their fears. They're not moving beyond their fears. It, it, it sounds like it, during a divorce itself, that can be very detrimental and, and affect a person's decisions on how to settle, you know, what to what to ask for all of these different things because you're not really asking referencing yourself right i remember the belief that i couldn't make my husband mad while we were getting a divorce because he would give me less which only makes him feel more grandiose and gives him more of the one up and I think that that's probably really normal. I mean, I, I coach a lot of women going through a divorce who will be like, well, I can't say that or I can't do that because he'll get mad and then he'll make my life even harder. They'll use financial against the woman. That's really common, we find. That, that, that whole sort of feeling. And you know, some people never get beyond it. Um, how 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 do you help someone get beyond that 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 sort of breaking that fear? I can't get them mad, or else I won't get what I want or deserve, or anything like that. It's a tricky question, Steve, because it's very possible that it's true. So, and it's, I, you know, when I speak man versus woman, I'm actually speaking whoever's holding the purse strings. Yeah. Who's ever holding the purse strings is the one in power, is the one that's one up. And so it's not always man or woman. It's whoever's holding the purse strings is the one holding the power. So there's some truth to that. Um, I think maybe even just getting it out on the table with your soon-to-be ex might be a good conversation. I think that, you know, what happens, unfortunately, is that both partners are not in their conscious wise adult. They're in their adaptive child. They're in their fighting. They're in their wounds. They're in all of those disempowering beliefs. And they're not actually having a conversation from their adult wise brain, which is yeah. where they need to get to. And that may take work. That may take joint counseling. That may take... Um, making yourself a priority and asking for what you need with grace and ease. I feel scared when I feel that you're going to shut me down. If I say this, would you be willing to hear me without reprimanding, you know, without any consequences? I mean, you've got to start asking for what you need, but in a way that is not triggering to your partner. You want to try to get to their adult wise brain themselves and yeah, see yeah. I mean, that, that that happens in a lot of high conflict kind of divorces where you know there's generally one of the sides just refuses to be rational and mm. you know plays the other one 
Right. So if 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 it seems to me the other thing is that if I come out of the divorce, I was the one without the purse strings, and I come out of the divorce with less than 50-50, which is going to happen in a lot of cases because it isn't necessarily designed to split everything 50-50, or even if they do, the incomes aren't always 50-50. I mean, there's there's ways... What happens after, right? Yeah, the other person can go on to make zillions, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so how how do you fight not falling back into that afterwards? Into the disempowering feelings? Yeah. There, you have to get to a place of acceptance and surrender. And acceptance and surrender doesn't mean you love what happened. It means you're going to say to yourself, okay, this is where I am. I never thought I'd be here. I didn't see it coming. I don't, it's not my first choice, but this is where I am. And if I can accept and surrender that this is where I am, And I can believe that the universe has my back and that everything that happens happens for me and not just to me. Then from this place of surrendering, I can say, okay, what's next? How do I move on? You can't do that till you stop fighting and resisting what is. So that is the first step. This is where I am. Let me get give a hard look to what I really have here. How am I going to protect what I have and how am I going to let it grow? It was really important to me. I sold my big house and I lived under my means in terms of where I lived and how I lived until I really got to a point where I had accrued a lot of money and I could finally let that go. And I could finally loosen my purse strings, but not until I felt really safe and secure. And to just go back for a minute to shadow beliefs, we all have shadow beliefs around money. I was brought up from a depression age. Parent, you know, my parents were from the depression, and my parents like did not spend a penny. So I grew up believing that it wasn't good to spend money. You know, you were like bad to spend your money. You look down at spending your money. and But there are other people who feel entitled. You know, they spend every money. I mean, I know people whose parents lived a big life. And now my age, people are taking care of their parents right. because they didn't do it right. But you still, you come up with all these beliefs. I'm not good with money. Religious people don't care about money or, you know, good people don't care about money money should be saved and not spend, or the opposite. I'm worthy of having my needs met. I have clients who believe that, you know, I'm going to take care of these things and I'm going to, the man should be doing all these things for me. And and like in today's world, that's just not necessarily the way it is. So we have to clean out the attic of all these beliefs and get real with what is. So that we can clear out our money beliefs, see which beliefs are not serving us. I had the opposite. I finally had to get to a point where I could say, your father and mother's beliefs are making you play way smaller than you need to. And so I had to go the other way. 
that didn't happen until my parents died. And with so much money, you never would have thought they had a penny. And I yeah. thought, I don't want to do that. Yeah. I don't actually want to die with all my marbles. <laughs> and so you, you, there's a lot here, but you have to figure it out for yourself because you have to make yourself a priority. This is an ongoing project, isn't it? It, it, you were talking about your parents, you know, and, and then when they died, it, this isn't something that just you fix yourself and, and forget about it. Well, we are a product from our parents and our parents are a product from their parents. So when you start to think about it, your beliefs could be 200 years old. They don't really apply, but you don't know that because you're running your life on autopilot and you don't really understand where your beliefs came from, which are good beliefs, which are not serving you. And basically you just got to get to a place where you are. This is where I am. This is who I am. I've lived my whole life being other referenced. How do I put the spotlight on me? And how do I hold myself in warm regard, even when I'm sad, even when I don't have the big house anymore, even when I'm scared, even when I've lost the person who I thought would be in my life forever? How do I still hold myself in warm regard? And where do I go from here? And and we're almost done. I hate to be almost done. But that gets (laughs) us to kind of coming to you. Again, I kind of come back to that is is that what you what you it, it sounds like, you know, or when what a life coach in general, just the term life coach means it 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 could be an, an ongoing struggle. And but you have if someone comes to you and they say, Well, how do I fix it? It's not just, well, okay, just think better about yourself. Here. Oh, no. and there are there are real actual things and ways to do this. Yes. And the first thing is to get out of the victim mode. You know, women get divorced and 15 years later, they're not dating anybody. They're still mad at their husband. They're still blaming their husband. And honestly, at that point, there's nobody for them to blame but themselves. Because as long as you stay in the victim mode, you are disempowered. And you're not going to move forward in your life. You're not going to recreate a new life. And so I I hope anybody who feels that they're the victim in their story comes and gets help. Because that's the first step is how do you help somebody stop looking on that side of the street? Because here's the other thing I'm going to tell you that there's like there's your side and then there's God's side or the universe's side, and then your your ex's side. And as long as you're over there, you're going to be in pain. You have to stay on your side and only on your side, leave the universe to take care of everything else and get out of your ex's business. Stop looking over there. You have to stay on your side. You need blinders, so you stay on your side. You get out of victim mode. You recognize that you are worthy and that also you are capable. You know, I so think I can't women go are... on my ex's uh, Facebook Live every morning and no, right. <laughs> Was that happening to you? 
<laughs> no, no, but it just, it, it, I mean, it's that you just see that. It's like the first thing yeah. is, well, my ex, my ex did this. And I'm always going, well, how do you know that? <laughs> you know, I tell my clients, and I had to learn this for myself, that any news you get about your ex is painful. So if you want to set a healthy boundary, you actually say to your friends, I know you're going to see him. We live in the same community, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to know anything. Like as much as I want to know, I don't want to know. It's too painful right now. This is not the right time. So unless I ask you a direct question, please don't give me any information. I get that. I like that. Wow. We've run out of time. I hate that. Um, Wow. Nancy, I really want to thank you, first of all, for sitting down and talking to us today about this, because this is a subject that is, I think, sort of in a vague way out there, people sort of understand, but really don't. And it's a lot more complex than people realize. And I, and I really like the way you just sort of are able to make that understandable. And and to even someone like me. <laughs> and, and before we go, though, I really do want you to uh, let people know how they can get a hold of you if they would like to talk to you. Well, my website is nancypicardlifecoach.com. And on there, there will be a link. You know, my email will be there. There'll be a link for a free discovery call because working with a coach has got to work both ways. I have to think that I will be a good fit for you and that you will be a good fit for me. And so do you. So I always do a free call just to get to, you know, lay that out. This is how I work. This is the kind of thing I work on. You know, you tell me what's going on with you. And then we decide together whether that's a good thing. So there's also a free chapter to my book. There's all kinds of things and it's all on my website. And so, and I welcome anybody to send me an email or um, set up, there'll be a calendar link to set up a free call. Yep. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. Thank you so much again. And thanks for being here today. And thanks for having me. I, I, I loved it. Uh, everyone else until next time. Thank you for coming, obviously. And if you do have questions after this and maybe have, have forgotten how to get a hold of her and you can anytime post here, and we can get you connected with Nancy. So with saying that, till next time, stay safe, stay happy, and be well. This has been Modern Family Matters, a legal podcast focusing on providing real answers and direction for individuals and families. Our podcast is sponsored by Landerholm Family Law and Pacific Cascade Family Law, serving families in Oregon and Washington. If you are in need of legal counsel or have additional questions about a family law matter important to you, please visit our websites at LanderHomeLaw.com or PacificCascadeFamilyLaw.com. You can also call our headquarters at 503-227-0200 to schedule a case evaluation with one of our seasoned attorneys. Modern Family Matters, advocating for your better tomorrow and offering legal solutions important to the modern family.